he wanted us to go into all the world and to make disciples. Now, what's really important about that is it means a great deal about to me is that we don't want to just get people to a point where they believe in Jesus. We want them to become like Jesus. And the process of that is different in our culture today than it was 2,000 years ago. They called it discipleship. And so a lot of uh, communities today are just trying to get people to believe in Jesus. And that's great. That's a great place to start. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. And we would love nothing more than for you to desire to become more like Jesus. So we were in a series right now. We talked about the first week, the call to become a disciple. It was in Luke chapter 14. Powerful teaching four weeks ago. Um, two we- uh, three weeks ago, we talked about the Word of God. We think that it's the Bible is more important than anything else that you're going to hear, better than any sermon. Now today, sermons are more popular and cooler than reading the Bible, and I want to make sure that you understand that shouldn't be so. Because though you're going to hear someone spin and someone's personality in a sermon, and God may speak to you through a sermon, the number one way that God speaks to his people today is through the word of God. Two weeks ago, we, uh, last week we did hunger, and we talked about one of the traits of a disciple is someone that will hunger for Jesus, hunger for righteousness, hunger to know him more, and this week we're talking about prayer. And so um, I want to let you know these are all traits of people that become a disciple. Now, multiple times when Jesus walked and taught, as you read in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find that Jesus oftentimes was with multitudes of people, thousands of people, healing, people were following him. He is so much not like anyone else. When thousands of people would get around Jesus, Jesus would say, He'd be like some of you in our church. <laughs> I'm going to go to this, to this quiet place over here where there's no one at. And uh, Jesus would go off by himself and pray to the Father. What I love about Jesus is Jesus prayed. It's crazy that Jesus needed to commune with God when he was God. If he needed to pray, how much more do we? Bottom line. Maybe I should say that again. If Jesus needed to pray, how much more should we? So he had followers, people that were around him, saw his miracles, saw his teachings, witnessed his grace and his mercy and his truth, loved him. And they, when they saw him go off to pray, they would say, Jesus, would you teach me how to pray? Now, you can see a lot of accounts of Jesus' prayers, like John 17. It's one of my favorites. Right before he went to the cross, he prayed this powerful prayer. But Jesus, the, he, the disciples say, Jesus, teach me how to pray. And he says, okay, if you want to know how to pray, Matthew chapter 6, this is what I want you to do. One, don't pray loud and be obnoxious so other people can hear you. They'll have their reward because everyone wants to praise them because they're so cool. If you want to know how to pray, do it in a quiet, secret place where I alone will hear you. That's awesome. Two, he's, I love this. You can tell Jesus is a dude. Like, he's like totally guy. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you're going to pray, let your words be few. <laughs> just, just tell me. If it was a girl, you know, it'd be totally different. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. Just keep it simple, man. Tell me what's going on. I love that. I love that. I love that. But he says he modeled prayer for us. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, in, and uh, let, you tra- uh, let your trespasses. Yeah, there you go. As we forgive those that have trespassed against us. Uh, for yours is the kingdom. Lead us not into temptation. There you go. Okay, yeah, I got this one, right? I was actually Catholic for the first 19 years of my life, and so uh, I'm failing. Um, so 
uh, what I want you to know is that uh, this is a great model. If the disciples wanted to know how to pray and Jesus taught them this, we haven't graduated above that. So if you're currently struggling in your prayer life, please, I want to encourage you. Prayer is fine if you want to take five minutes. Start there. Start there for five minutes and graduate from that. But get the model of Jesus' prayer out. And I don't need you to pray that prayer. I want you to use that as a model. In other words, one of the greatest problems that we have in our prayer life, you and I both, is we start prayer with what's going wrong in our life. Oh, God, I need you to help me with my finances. My wife hit her head, and she's crazy. I need you to fix her. Anyone else ever start with it? Uh, you're doing it with your husband. I know, right? But listen, or it's our finances, or it's our boss, or it's our car, or it's something else. So we're starting with problems. And the problem when we start talking to God about our problems being so big is we're forgetting. Jesus started off with talking about how big God was. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're the rock of ages. You're the lion of the tribe of Judah. You are the, the bright and the morning star. You're the alpha and the omega. You're the, and you, and now you, oh man, he's bigger than this stuff that's going on in our life. And then he talks about sin and giving us an opportunity to actually confess sin. Why is it important that we confess sin daily? Because sin should not be common in our lives. And when we, when we confess it, we recognize that it's wrong. Otherwise, you just get comfortable with it. And it shouldn't be in our lives. I know it is. I've got issues also, but when we confess them, we recognize them more. We get rid of them faster. Okay, so Jesus modeled prayer. And then the next thing I wanted to talk to you about disciples really quick before my bride comes is that this. As Jesus talked about discipleship to, or talked about prayer to his disciples, they failed at prayer. You have to get this. The people that Jesus asked to lead the church also struggled with being able to be consistent with prayer. He comes to them right before he's about to die. He told them, I'm going to die. And he says, hey, guys, I need you to pray with me. And they're like, yeah, okay, we got this. He turns around, and they're all asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but I qualify then to be a disciple. <laughs> if some of you have ever fallen asleep, and this is the problem that I know is happening in our church, it's, we struggle with insecurity and confidence, and we feel like we're not good enough for God. And some of it starts with prayer. Man, I don't have a good, and I don't, my prayer life isn't like Alicia's, or it's not like Howard's, or I'm not, I'll never arrive, and I'm just not good enough, and, it, and this is poop, it's wrong, it's not true, it's not accurate. If the disciples could struggle with prayer, and then 40 days later, lead a, lead a revolution, so could we. And so I want you to know that he taught them how to pray, and they also struggled with it. And you can overcome and become what God wants you to become for the kingdom. Does that make sense? Okay. We're talking about prayer today and a few other things. My wife is coming right now and uh, I'm really excited about this. Come on. Come on. Come on. Y'all just cut me, man. I got muted by Caleb. That's terrible, Caleb. Come on, man. Is it like that? Listen, uh, while she's getting ready, I just want to, uh, would you stretch your hands for and pray for uh, before she comes up here, she's a super mom, and she's got kids and crazy and cereal and food and all the crazy. You know how y'all were cussing at each other on your way to church? She wasn't cussing at me, but, you know, <laughs> now she's got to be anointed. Father, <laughs> I thank you for the most anointed woman I know. 
I thank you for her insight to your throne. I thank you for her prayer life. I thank you that you have spoken to her and spoken to her and spoken to her, not, not just today, but the, when she wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning all the time to seek you. You've prepared her for this moment, and I thank you that she's going to speak into our lives and my life. And, Lord, we just ask that your will would be done today. Yes. In Jesus' name. Well, good morning. I am so excited for this morning. Um, This is the very first time, special day for me, that Tim and I have actually spoke together. And so in almost 10 years, we'll be married 10 years and in two weeks, two weeks, I think, I think. So this is the first time. And so I just really am excited because I know that the Lord is moving us into a new place. He's moving our family into a new place. He's moving this church into a new place. And I, when I was preparing for this time, I was just overcome with not only excitement, but also anticipation about what the Lord wants to do. He has so clearly spoke to me in this moment that this morning, and and specifically for some reason this service, so I'm even more like ready to go, but there are people of promise and with a promise sitting all spread out here. There are people of promise and with promise. And I want you to get that in your spirit because I know a lot of times, like Tim was saying, we disqualify ourselves from the get-go. Peter should have, probably did, disqualify himself from the get-go, but he was still a man with promise. And we're going to get into that in a minute. I want to put a slide up on um, the background right here. And it's something that I really do believe that the Lord has given me specifically for this moment, specifically for this crowd. Um, And it comes from Isaiah 43, and I just really feel like it is a prophetic word. And it says, God, who builds a road through the ocean, who carves a path through pounding waves, says this to you this morning. Forget about what has happened. Do not keep going over old history. Be alert, be present, for I am about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. I am making a road through the desert, through the wilderness, and through the badlands. I want you guys to say something with me this morning. I want you to say, get ready. I want you to say it louder and get it in your heart and get it in your mind. Get ready. Get ready. I was, I was preparing for this message earlier this week, and I was like, God, you know, this week is specifically on, on prayer. And although prayer is truly the most powerful weapon and tool that we have as believers outside of the spoken word of God, um, it's so hard to teach people about prayer. Why? Because we know how to. We've been taught, even if you're not a believer, and if you're not, I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome. I hope you feel so comfortable. But even if you're not a believer, you know what prayer is. You know that you ought to do it. We know that in crisis situations, we do it. And we, touch your neighbor and say, you, you probably don't do it as well as you should do it, right? Like, isn't that the truth? Like, we know that we should do it, but we don't do it as well as we should. And so this morning, when I was praying, I have just been seeking God and asking him to give you the gift of prayer. I know that's very bizarre. I'm not sure if anybody has ever prayed that you would have the gift of prayer. But earlier this year, we did a 21-day fast as a church, and the Lord so sweetly has gifted me with a new level of prayer. And in that, 
so much is burst out of there, and we'll get into it a little bit later, but I'm praying that for us. Um, I'm praying that we not only recognize and realize prayer as like a time of soaking and a time of, of being with the Lord, but also it is a time where we really do believe and speak those things that are not as though they were. James 5, 17, I believe it is, reminds us that the effectual and the fervent prayer of righteous men and women are powerful. It is powerful and it is effective, which means those things that you are hoping for, those things that you get emojis like this, really, we're going to speak those things out and we're going to believe for God to do the supernatural. Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 20 says that God is able to do not to hope, not to wish. He's able to do exceedingly, immeasurably more than we could ever imagine according to the power and the work that is happening inside of our lives. And so this morning, I want to I begin from a passage in Matthew 16. If you have your Bibles or your phones, um, please turn with us to Matthew 16, and we're going to start in verse 13. And just a little background of this passage. This passage starts where Jesus is doing some pretty incredible things. He is healing the blind. He's raising the dead. He's touching the sick, and they're getting healed. He's delivering people from spirits. Like, he is doing some wild stuff. And so there's a lot of people who are really happy with him, but then there's a lot of people who are really not happy with him. And there's a lot of speculation. Who is he? Is he, you know, he says he's the son of God, but is he possessed? Like, what is this guy? And so Jesus has three main friends that he confides in. And we see them all over the scriptures. It's Peter, James, and John. And so he's walking along the road and he says, guys, I know what everybody else says, but who do you say that I am? And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter Matthew 16, 13. And it says this, when Jesus came to the region of something, see, Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then this, Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. Do not lean, do not, ugh, you did not learn this from any human being. And now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not prevail. I want to talk to us first about our time in prayer, our time meeting with the Lord, our time hearing his plans and his purposes for us. You see, Peter, James, and John, they made sure that they were in the Lord's presence. They were his best friend. They made sure, and then they were talking and conversating. And Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up, and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. And there he turns his name, and he says, you are Peter, the rock, the one that I'm going to build my church on, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so in that time, we can see that when Jesus and Peter met, there was a promise that was established. In their time communicating, there was a promise that was established. 
Jesus looks at his friend and said, on this rock, on you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And I believe in that moment, right, Peter received it. He took it into his heart. He meditated on it. He took it into his mind. He thought about it. And in this house, I know that I know that there are times when the Lord Jesus, in your time in prayer, has spoken to you and given you a word. He's given you a promise. I don't know if it was when you were a child. Maybe somebody spoke something over you. I don't know if it was when you gave your heart to the Lord. You really felt like something dropped into your heart. I don't know if it was last week and God in your time just spoke to you. But I do know that God gave Peter, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus gave Peter a promise. And God has given so many, every one of us, in fact, a promise. And when that promise comes, there's an expectation, right? I am certain that Peter at this moment received it and was like, yeah, all right, all right. I think he was the one that said like, who does, like Jesus, who do you love the most? I don't know if that was Peter, but I, I like he's, he, he wants to do some things. Don't, sometimes I like the wrong character in the story, right? Like <laughs> I like the one who is a wild card. Peter is totally a wild card. If you have not yet dived in the scriptures, you will find that Peter is crazy. And he speaks his mind at all the wrong times. And he is so misunderstood. And he has all of these things that are wrong. And I love him for that. I am like, oh, thank God you gave him, you know, you gave us an example of a messed up person that you used. So I am certain that the moment Peter ingested the promise he was given through conversation with Jesus, he started planning out the story. He was like, yeah, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to help Jesus. Jesus said he was, was going to establish a new kingdom. He was going to do all these things. I'm going to be his right-hand man, you know? And the unfortunate thing is, is that life happens. It doesn't just happen to you, and it doesn't just happen to me. It happens to Peter, too. And all of these things that he had hoped for, you flip over just a few chapters later. And where do we find him? Just like Tim was talking about. We find him in the garden. Peter's asleep. And Jesus is betrayed with a kiss. And we find it in John 18. I'm not going to read the whole thing for time's sake. But all of a sudden, Peter is met with Jesus, his best friend, and he's met with the promise that he had given him, all being led into captivity. And have you ever been in a position or a point in your life where you had a promise? There was no doubt that you had a promise. But all of a sudden, life happens, and you feel like you're left in the, led into captivity. Like, wait, my mind is blown, God. You told me I was supposed to do... You told me my kids were going to be missionaries and they're not even serving you. You tell me that my marriage is supposed to be this covenant relationship, and my wife just walked out on me. Let's get real. Like, these are the things that truly happen. You told me I was supposed to be a man of God, but I got caught doing X, Y, Z. You told me I was supposed to be a woman of God in the pulpit, and you deal with people-pleasing, and insecurity like crazy, life happens. And life happened to Peter. And he felt, 
I am sure because I, <laughs> I very much, uh, like, what is it called when you associate yourself with somebody? Relate with Peter. All of a sudden, Jesus and the promise was led into captivity, and Peter standing there alone. I'm sure feelings of abandonment were there. I'm certain all of a sudden, direction was totally lost. And what happens in that moment with Peter and me and you is our expectations are here, and here's our experience. And this whole part in the middle is our deficit. And we get disappointed, and the enemy comes in and whispers things to us, and we get discouraged, and we start to function not out of the promise that God had given us, but out of the deficit and discouragement that we now experience. And how many of you have been in a moment where all we can see is the deficit, and we start to function in that way? I mean, let me tell you, Tim told you I'm a mom, right? So I'm a mom of three little stinkers. I mean, blessings, blessings, they're blessings. And I prayed for a calm. Tim and I found out that we were having a third child. And so I was like, oh, Jesus, please let her be calm. Please, you know, Micah, please let her be calm. (laughs) And I just think that I don't know. Something is still missing there between him, Jesus, and I. (laughs) She is anything but calm. But she wakes up constantly in the middle of the night. Haley, I'm so sorry to say this to you right now (laughs) because I know you're in baby mode. But she still, two years later, wakes up. Love her. She wakes me up. I have a problem. Even if she wakes up for like a minute, I can't go back to sleep. And so I function many days out of a deficit of sleep. And all the mamas in the room, you can relate that when you function out of deficit, you do things that you would normally not do, right? Like, sometimes I feel like I might need to bleep myself. Like, I don't function correctly when I'm on a deficit of sleep. And so in those moments, there have been times, I will confess, that my children are like, Mom, I'm hungry. And I said... You know, there's Oreos downstairs. Just clean it up so that there's no evidence of what is happening. Isn't it? I mean, come on. Oreos and cereal, they're like the same, right? I mean, they are. <laughs> so, so we do things that we would never do if we were functioning in our purpose. And Peter does the same thing. If you look later on in the chapter, he in John 18, again, we're not going to read the whole thing, but we all know There's a servant girl who approaches him. Jesus is long gone. And she says, hey, aren't you Jesus' friend? Aren't you his follower? And he's like, I don't even know that guy. Jesus, no, 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 you got the wrong person. I I don't know who that is. And Peter instantly, because of the disappointment, begins to function there rather than the promise. And I wasn't going to say the next part, but I just really couldn't get rid of it um, when I was preparing to speak this message today. And um, so if 
you are function. Okay, so let me actually back up. So the end of the story happens in John 18, where Peter moves not only from bad to worse. Basically, he denies Jesus. Then all of a sudden, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And now he looks and he sees his best friend hanging on the cross. The promise hanging on the cross. He just functioned fully out of disappointment and discouragement. He's ashamed. And what does he do? He does what most of us do. He's like, I must have heard wrong. I can't. I'm out. And he goes back to fishing. Because that's what Peter did. Before Jesus, before any of this awesome, miracle, cool discipleship life started, he was a fisherman. That's where he started. And so this whole thing happens, and he goes back to being a fisherman. And let me tell you, there have been many, many, many times in my life that I start to feel that disappointment and I start to feel that discouragement and then I begin to be shameful about decisions I've made and I want to go back to my old life. It's better over there, right? It's easier. I know that place. And so if we go to John 21, um, if you guys will trek with me there, and we're going to start in verse 3. John 21, 3 says this. Peter says, I'm going fishing. All the guys in the house say amen. (laughs) Okay? I'm going fishing. And the disciples say, we'll come too. So they went out in the boat and they brought, I'm sorry, and they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? And they replied, no. Then he said, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, Peter, it is the Lord. When Peter heard this, sorry, let me flip the page. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic. He jumped in the water and headed to shore. Love Peter. Love Jesus. This is the part that I could not shake when I was preparing because I'm on a time limit. (laughs) I know. Jesus, of all the places he could have been, and of all the great and glorious things he could have done when he came off that cross, he went to Peter. (coughs) He found Peter in his old life. Peter and him had been friends now for a long time, and he knew I got to go find my boy Peter because I can't let him stay in his old life. I can't let him go back, not because I'm upset, not because I'm angry, but because I know there's a better way. And the promise, although it looked like it was dead, it is resurrected. That promise is not gone in my boy Peter. And in this place, I know there are people in here who maybe... You have made decisions in disappointment. And you have gone back to your old life. And God loves us so much that it doesn't matter. He's going to pursue you anyways. He's going to call out that promise anyways. He's not upset. He's not hopeless. 
He wants to meet with you and I and cultivate that promise and call it out and remind it. When Jesus came off the cross and when he rose from the grave, <laughs> that promise is effective. The Romans 11, I think it's 11, 29. I don't know. I'm going to mess it up. But in Romans, there is a place that says the gifts and the call of God on your life are irrevocable. That means they cannot be undone. Peter, the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable on your life. So did God, did God ask you to volunteer somewhere? And things have come up, or you felt too ashamed to do it, or you felt too this or too that. Has God asked you to really pour into your marriage, even though there's been brokenness every place that you can look? The promise isn't gone. Did God ask you to start a business? He was reminding me when I was praying this, I asked him for specific promises so that I could share it with you, but I didn't really get too many. <laughs> but God reminded me, build in the background because your promise is not gone. And although you don't see the evidence, although you might feel alone and abandoned, keep building, keep building in the background because when opportunity hits, it's a wide open door for you to walk through. If God has put in your heart to start a business or start a ministry or start a family, start whatever, build in the background now. So when that moment comes, you are ready to walk into the fullness of what Jesus has for you. Jesus knows at this point with Peter that his time of personal interaction with Peter, so I will say personal relationship in the physical, is about to end. And he says something so beautiful and so hopeful to you and I. He says, Peter, I am about to go. I am about to ascend to heaven and go sit at the right hand of my father. But it is better that I go and that I send you the Holy Spirit. That's good stuff, guys. Because I will say with full confidence in this room, the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is your only hope. He is your only hope. In these chaotic, dark, evil days, he is your only, he is your only hope. He is the, the steady beneath your feet. But he's not only the steady, he's the activator of the promise. Will you turn with me to Acts 2? We're going to close with this passage. All my Pentecostals, hey, where are you? <laughs> Acts 2. And we're going to start in the beginning. Acts 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place and praying. All right, let's start there. So Jesus has left, and it is a time he has given them specific instructions to go meet, be together, and pray. That's the foundation of the church, y'all. That is like the very beginning. That's what he says. He says, meet together. Don't forsake, don't forsake going to church because that's important. And don't forsake the Holy Spirit because I'm about to give that to you. And don't forsake prayer. On the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues appeared on their heads and settled on each of them. Here we go. Number four. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in another language. 
This message is not about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but let me tell you what. I look at Peter, who formerly operated out of disappointment, discouragement, and deficit, and who did things that he would never have done. Jesus comes and reconciles the relationship, but then he says, Peter, you got to go. You got to meet with believers and pray. And he does. And Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you something better. It's the Holy Spirit. And these believers met together and they were filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to go down to verse 14 quickly and, and read. Then Peter stepped forward from the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. And Peter begins to preach one of the most beautiful, recognized sermons that our world has ever known. And do you know why? Here's the key. Because he was under the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had turned a man who spoke and said to a servant girl, I don't know that guy. You must have the wrong dude. I don't know who that is. Jesus, Uh uh-uh. And he came into a prayer life with other believers, was filled under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, be, he moved from a place of functioning out of deficit into a place of functioning fully in his promise. Because do you remember what Jesus had told him ago? He said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus knew that Peter needed something supernatural. Because if you read further, the gates of hell do attack Peter. There are some really hard things that he has to walk through. He didn't pray away the problem. He didn't, ask G- he didn't ask the Holy Spirit at that time. He didn't say, hey, can you take this problem away from me? Hey, can you get me out of this circumstance? Hey, can you get me out of this marriage? Hey, Holy Spirit, can you, get, can, you, can you just make my kids obey? Hey, can you get me out of this financial conundrum I'm in? Peter didn't pray situations away. He asked for an infilling of the Holy Spirit in his prayer time to muster the confidence and the courage to walk through and be victorious. He walked through the gates of hell and he was victorious. He walked through the challenges and the beatings and the hard times and the loneliness and the feelings of abandonment and the feelings of life that come every day. And friends, brothers and sisters, We need the power of the Holy Spirit to function in the promises of God. But there is such a sweet, sweet spirit that comes when we do. When we take ourselves kind of out of our own heads and we begin invite the Holy Spirit into those situations. I want to read that verse one more time to you from Isaiah. God, who builds a road right through your ocean, 
think about the promise that God has dropped in your heart maybe many years ago, maybe last week, and all of the difficulties that might be hindering that, all the shame that you might feel, all of the hurt that you might be dealing with, all the disappointment from even maybe people in church. But God, who builds a road right through the oceans, who carves a path through pounding waves, says this to you. Forget about what has happened. Do not keep going over old history. Be alert and be present. For I am about to do something brand new. It is bursting out. And so this day was a day about discipleship and prayer. And I have I have just been praying that God would gift us all the gift of prayer. And that comes with the power of the Lord.